Good morning, everyone. How are we going? It's just like, I feel like I should sing a lullaby. It's just all very calm. Uh, I have the privilege this morning of taking us through uh, the first of five weeks of our new series, Redefined. And the sort of genesis of this series, uh, apart from the life and ministry of Jesus, but apart from that, the genesis of this series uh, was me earlier in the year um, reading Luke, this uh, Dr. Luke, this guy who carefully investigated the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And then, you know, the early church, he does this careful investigation and he records it. He, he preserves it uh, for us. And I'm reading this as Jesus begins to teach. And man, I was challenged. And it just completely sort of turned me upside down. It, it it challenged my assumptions and it challenged my my priorities and challenged what I look for in life. And I thought, wow, I, I want to do a series on this like Sunday. You know, I always want to teach on this now. And um, we had some stuff in place for those Sundays. And so we found a space later in the year to just to begin to look at this. And what I love about this scene at the start of uh, partway through Luke chapter 6 is that it is this dramatic scene. Okay, Jesus has just chosen the 12. He comes down to a, to a level place, probably halfway down a mountain. And, and, and there's all these people gathering around and Jesus turns and he begins to teach his disciples. And what he teaches is sort of revolutionary. And I figure if we're going to be Jesus followers, if... if or if, or if you're not a Jesus follower, but you want to know more and more of what that looks like, maybe you're here this morning because you're intrigued, you're interested, you know, you get to listen in this morning. And I just think that God might want to do something in us as a church and, and redefine our priorities and redefine what we're, what we're looking for and living for, that we might be challenged just as I was, hopefully more so, and that we might become more and more the church that God is calling us to be. And so would you turn with me to Luke chapter 6? It's one of my favorite passages. Verse 17 says this. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there. And a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Like, can you see why this is one of my favorites? This is a dramatic scene. You've got people from Jerusalem and Judea. That's like the, the area of, of the Jewish people. These are the people, like the tribe of Judah, this is the people most faithful to God. These are the people most like Jesus. These are the people of the south. And also gathering are the people from Tyre and Sidon. These are two cities in the north, okay, north of Israel. They were uh, big cities in, 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 um, of the Phoenicians. Okay, these people are from the north, not the south. Okay, these people, it's like North Island, South Island, you know, you know oh, we're not like them. Anyway, people, people from the north. And, and not only that, these are people who were heathens. These are people who ethnically and religiously are about as far from God, about as far from Jesus, about as different from Jesus as you could be. Okay, they were known for their idolatry. They were known for their Baal worship. If you know your Bible at all, you've only got to read it for five minutes to realize in the history of Israel, Baal was a really, really awful influence. It plagued Israel for generations. And these people in the north were known for it. 
And yet in this moment in Luke chapter 6, none of that seems to matter. It doesn't seem to matter where people are from. It doesn't seem to matter what they've worshipped up until now. It doesn't seem to matter how faithful or faithless they've been. It doesn't seem to matter how they've identified up until this point in their lives. They are gathering around one person for one reason. They are standing around Jesus and standing in awe. He's healing people. People who've been tormented in their minds for years are being freed in a moment. And you can imagine, it's just a loud scene. People are gathering and going, wow, we've never seen anyone do anything like this. They're standing in awe of Jesus. And what I would love to see is our church gatherings, our life groups, our services, our families begin to more and more reflect a scene like this. Because if you haven't realized it yet, the church that Jesus is building is of every tribe and language and people and nation. You know, Rebecca's talked about that a little bit this morning. Jesus is gathering a church community around himself made up of the full expression of humanity. And I love that really early on in Jesus' ministry here, we see it beginning to be expressed. That Jesus is in town and people show up and it doesn't matter where they're from, they're just like interested in him. Can you imagine if we came when we, every time we gathered with this expectation that God is going to move in power and we're going to be left standing in awe. And people might not be interested in organized religion. They might not be interested in church, but interested in to discover what Jesus is doing, not just historically, but right here, right now. So can we gather as a church in, in, in expectation? Can we gather around Jesus in awe? And can we ask God to gather the nations, to gather people from all walks of life and say, you might not like church. You, you might not like organized religion. You might not like you know, this area, whatever it is. But can I introduce you to Jesus? Because I'm standing in awe and I think you will too. The thing is, if you love what Jesus does, then inevitably you're more interested in hearing what Jesus says. And that's exactly what happens here. Verse 20, it says, looking at his disciples, he said. And so Jesus begins this, this sermon that we're going we're gonna to explore over the next five weeks. This is the only chapter we're going to look at in the next five weeks. It's Jesus' sermon that comes off the back of this as he turns to his his followers, as he turns to these guys who are apprentices of his, they're not fully like him yet, they're not, they don't really know much yet, but they have seen him, they're following him, they're listening to him, they're becoming more like him, they've embarked on this journey. And he's turning and he's speaking to them. But what I love about this, this scene is that the people around are probably overhearing, listening in. And if you're a listener in this morning, if you're not a Jesus follower, you're not really sure what you believe, you get to listen in too this morning. And he, begins to, and he turns and he begins to speak to them, he begins to preach. But what I want you to see, don't miss this, is that the scene is the same. This dramatic scene of healing and, and freedom and life that seems to be going on, it's in that context over the next five weeks that Jesus then turns to his disciples and begins to speak. Don't miss the context, don't miss these verses. And so this morning we're going to read the next few verses at the start of this sermon. And if you're loving what Jesus does, I think you're going to, I don't know that you're going to love what he says, but you're interested in leaning into what he says. Should we read? It says this, Blessed are the poor, are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. 
Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. You know, like nobody's loving this right now. It says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Should we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for way this, the way this careful investigation that Luke has done has been preserved so accurately for us. And just as people back then listened into Jesus, I thank you that because of the faithfulness of the way these scriptures have been put together, we get to listen into. God, speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, shape us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I um I want to I want to take you to a scene that I don't know if this is too soon. Okay, I'll soon know. I want to take you back to the cricket World Cup final. And I was watching that. I was I was overseas at the time, and, and so I'm trying to. I watched some of it by FaceTiming my in-laws who were watching it, and, and so they sort of put me in front of the screen, you know. And other times I'm catching up with the game because Jenny's letting me know uh, what's going on. And at that point in the game, I didn't actually want to know what was going on. Uh, I was a bit dark about it, but anyway. And, uh, and I watched the end of the game by FaceTiming my parents because people in the UK were then up, and it was all good. I could I could follow it that way. And, and I'm watching it with this American family and the son comes up to me and he's like, who's winning? And I'm like, let's cricket, okay? Um, one team bats and they, they, you know, they bat completely. And, and then another team bats. And you don't really know until you get towards the end who's winning. And he's like, oh, okay. So who's winning? <laughs> You're not listening. So, you know. One team bats, and, 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 and we're looking at this total, and oh, on this ground, it might be a good score, but we're looking at the, the, the attack, the, the bowlers of the other team, and, and, and they look pretty good, and so I don't know how this is going to work out. It's really tricky at this stage of the game to know who's winning, and he goes, but who's winning? And at this point, I'm just like, we are! And I'm so gr- glad that he didn't ask, who's we? Because I didn't know who was winning. I'm just like, we are. And I hope that that was good enough for him. And it seemed to be. And we laugh at this child asking who's winning. And yet I want you to see that I think we ask this every day of our lives. I think we want to know what success is. I think we want to know if we're winning. You know, you can be cruising through life. And then all of a sudden you're like, is this worth it? Is what I'm prioritizing, is what I'm pursuing worth it? Like, is this success? I, I think it's also really important because for some of us, we knew what success was going to look like for us. We knew what we were aiming for. We knew where we were heading. And then something came in and changed that. You know, maybe you're a solo parent now and you're like, I, I just don't know what success looks like for me now. Maybe you failed some exams or, you, you know, you made a mistake at work and you're like, and, and, and your career's affected. And you're like, I just don't know what success looks like now, maybe you had aims and ambitions and you got sick. You're like, what does success look like for me 
now? Am I forever barred from what I thought was success? Am I, am I, am I barred now from achieving what I think I should achieve and maybe what people around me think I should achieve? And I want you to see this morning that Jesus begins to speak, I think, into this question that we ask all the time, am I winning? Am I winning? And we've heard this morning, he, he sort of has these two groups of people Okay, and he calls one blessed. There, it means like they are under the favor of God. This blessed people. I think a word that's helpful in our culture to understand this is privileged. He says this one group are privileged. They're the people of status. They're the people that we look at. They're the people we admire. They're the people we honor. And then there's this other group of people we're going to call woe. It means it is dreadful for them. (laughs) They're not privileged. They're not people of status. They're not people we look up to and we aspire to be like. So you have these two groups. And Jesus said one group are defined by being rich, by being well-fed, by laughing lots, and everyone speaks well of them. Like wherever they go, they know all the important people and they love to gather these important people around the dining table where they're, they're full stomachs and everything's rosy and they laugh about everything, you know. And then there's this other group of people and they're characterized by poverty, they're characterized by weeping, they're characterized by hunger, and they're characterized by being excluded. And I think we know who are the blessed. And I think in their culture they knew who were the blessed. They were the rich. They were the well-fed. They were the ones who had it all together. They were the ones who, in the marketplace, everyone was like, Oh, Dave's here, this is awesome. And I think in our culture we're the same. You know, the privileged to the wealthy, the privileged, the privileged to the, the, the ones who don't hunger, the privileged to the ones who laugh lots, the privileged to ones with all the friends and all the followers. And everyone speaks well of them. And Jesus being Jesus flips it. Don't miss how controversial this flip is. He says, you want to know who the privileged are? They're the poor and the hungry and the weeping, and the rejected. Who wants to follow Jesus now? (laughs) Who's keen and like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Can you see how it was challenging for me? Can you see how I think it's really important? This is Jesus speaking, like we've got to take this seriously. What does he mean? I think the first thing to understand is we have to change our definition of poor. We have to change our definition of hungry and weeping because it's not... Look at it. Okay, think context here. Okay, Jesus has got these people from Tyre and Sidon, okay? They were wealthy people. These people from the north, they were traders, they were explorers, they they colonized the Mediterranean, and they gathered the trade of the world into warehouses, and it seems to be distributed from there, okay? They're like the Amazon 2,000 years ago, you know? They're Amazon before their time. And, and, And so they're wealthy people, And yet they have trekked all the way from the north to come on this random mountainside to gather around Jesus. Why? Because they seem to have all the wealth they could ever want and yet they're still poor of something. They're still hungry for something. All that wealth hasn't met their needs. You know, people are sick and they've been plagued by sickness and they're coming to Jesus saying, we can't fix this, we're desperate. There are people tormented and plagued by demonic forces and they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, nobody else can fix this, I need you. 
The, the poverty Jesus is talking about here is a spiritual poverty. And the word poor there is like destitute. It's like you're begging. It's like, God, I'm desperate for you. I need you. Jesus says, if that's your attitude, you're blessed. Then he talks about hunger. Hunger's a powerful, powerful physical force, physical feeling, right? Who knows what it's like to be hangry, you know? We haven't eaten enough or we, where, where the food isn't accessible. We, you know, we get hangry, we get irritable. Matthew, who also describes this sermon, calls it hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Jesus takes a powerful physical feeling and he brings it into the spiritual. He says, you are blessed if you hunger for right thinking and right speaking and right action. You're blessed if, you, if you're hungry for more of God. You're blessed if, you're, if you look at the world and you are hungry for more of God's word and God's will and God's ways in your culture. He says you're blessed if you weep. Again, think about the context. You've got people absolutely desperate who's, who's where, where people who have been ignorant of God and people who have who've gone through life doing their best have landed up sick and they've landed up being tormented and, and they've landed up you know, with all of this, this terrible stuff going on. Jesus is saying, if this doesn't make you weep, there's a problem. But if, you, if you're willing to join with my heart and weep over the things that make me weep, can I say there is a blessing for you? And I think the cool thing here is when we understand that Jesus articulates sort of success, being privileged in this way, suddenly the barriers that you thought existed to success, to to purpose, to living a life of meaning suddenly come down. Because we can all access success when it's defined like that. I think we also then begin to understand why Jesus is saying what Jesus is saying about the woe, the, the people he's saying it's dreadful for in their, in their riches and in their being satisfied and, and in their laughing now. You see, because what he's saying is that if, you, if your attitude is pride, if your attitude is I'm all good, if your attitude is I have no need for God, he's like, that is a really dreadful situation to be in. And I think it's wider in terms of culture. It's like if you can, if you can look at the, the problems of our world, if you can look at the, the underlying problems of our, of our culture and look at those and say, we're all good. If we can just get, throw enough money at it, if we can just get the right people in the room, you know, if we can just do the right research, if we can just, if we can, if we can just make the right scientific discovery, then, then we'll be able to solve all of these problems. Then we'll be able to make it work. God, we don't need you. We're all good. If you can do that and, 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 and not realize that there is something fundamentally broken underneath that we need God to step in and fix, Jesus is like, woe to you. It is a dreadful thing if you, can, you think you can sort this all out by yourself. But remember the context. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to Jesus' followers. And I just wonder if there's a, a state that Jesus is, is speaking into here where he would say that it's actually, there might be a dreadful circumstance for a Jesus follower. And I think there is this sense in which Jesus might be saying to us, 
It's a dreadful thing if you think you can believe in Jesus and then be self-sufficient. If you can come to to believe in me and and know I'm all good, like I'm forgiven and and I'm going to wait for heaven and that's going to be awesome. And as I go along, I'm going to be respectable and I'm going to be a good Christian and I'm going to, and I'm going to, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to be like them. You know, I'm going to do good stuff and, 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 and and I'm going to just raise some kids and earn some money and and own a house or whatever. And I'm just going to wait for heaven. I think Jesus would say that is a really dreadful position to be in. If that's all your life is about, just, just uh, believe in Jesus and go with the flow. I think Jesus says to us, that is dreadful. Because, because Jesus left heaven and came to earth on a mission to rescue humanity and to heal humanity and restore humanity. And I think if we're committed to following Jesus, there's a sense in which he says, I want your heart to beat with mine. I want you to see the brokenness of our world like I see it and I'm calling you to do something about it. And so I think what Jesus is calling out for us today and calling me out on today is we need to get rid of this notion of I'm going to be a respectable Christian. You know, I'm going to believe in Jesus and then I'm going to make sure that I, I look like I've got it all together and I'm doing a good job. I think the closer we get to Jesus, the more... We're going to be desperate. I think the closer we get to Jesus, the more we're going to look at the brokenness of our world and weep. I think the more we learn about our, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we're going to look at our culture and go, Oh Lord, we are hungry for your word and your will and your ways. Like where, the way we have been living, it is getting us nowhere. You know, how is it that we can live in in, in a nation that is so stunning and yet we have the highest rate of, of, of youth suicide in, in the Western world, in the, in the developed world? How is, it that we can, how is it that we can have this national game, rugby, and, and when the All Blacks lose, domestic violence goes up? Like, how can, how can we have such a low view of, of life? How can we have such a low view of, of the inherent worth of, of human life and then try and have a conversation about beginning of life and end of life issues? How can we stand by as the church and watch all this stuff going on and saying, we're all good. I'm a respectable Christian. I think God would have us weep over our nation. I think God would have us hunger for him more and more. I think God would have us say, God, we're desperate for you. If you don't step in, this nation is a train wreck. And then realize that maybe God has taken hold of you for something more. To weep over the things that he weeps for over. To hunger for the things he hungers for. And to say, oh Lord, if you would call me, is there something you want me to do about it? I just sense God saying, no more respectable Christian, you know? That actually, if we're following Jesus, we might look right now a little bit like we're quite broken. And like we don't have things all together. You know, the the next one that Jesus talks about is actually really significant, I think, for us. It says, blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil like it just gets harder right (laughs) but you notice it's it's not saying it's not saying um blessed are you when you are hated and rejected because 
you're proud and inconsiderate and rude. You know, it doesn't say that. (laughs) It says, blessed are you when you're rejected and insulted and people reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. See, some people love Jesus, some people long for him, and some people absolutely hate him and want nothing to do with him. If you're going to be a person who identifies yourself with Jesus, you sign up for that too. And so if we're following Jesus, I think we, we have to let go of this desire to be liked by everyone and to know that there's something bigger at work than how many friends we've got. You know, if you haven't noticed, cultural Christianity is gone, right? The thought that there will be some sort of social benefit for you with following Jesus is gone. Like if you are still holding longing for that, that's just done with. But actually as your opinion is rejected because you're a Jesus follower and as your help maybe is rejected because you're a Jesus follower and maybe as you begin to be overlooked and left out of conversations and not invited to parties and excluded from stuff because you're, you believe in Jesus, Jesus is like, I, I want you to rejoice in that day because maybe you're living your life with a greater purpose, with a different indicator of success. You're identifying yourself with me. And so the big question then comes, well, why? Like, how can Jesus say this? What, why would I live like this? Not only, okay, we've seen that maybe there's a, a bigger purpose in society that God wants me to, to, to attend to, to, to go after, but why is this worth it? And there's a big why throughout this passage, and it begins when Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, you know, blessed are you who are desperate for me, blessed are you, blessed are you who know of your need for me, Because for yours is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and the power of God. We see it announced in in Luke 4 when Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news. You know, Jesus is announcing the rule and the power of God and what happens when when, when that comes about. He's saying the kingdom, this, this rule and power of God has come about in me. And in Luke 6, we begin to see it glimpsed. We begin to see not just an, uh, an announcement, but actually what that looks like when, it, when it's played out. When people's lives come under the rule and power of God. When, when people's situations, when people's sickness, when, when demonic influence comes under the rule and the power of God, lives are changed. Jesus is saying, you're seeing a glimpse of it. And, and so if you're willing to acknowledge, I'm desperate for God, He's like, yours is the kingdom of God. Your life is coming under the rule and the power and the authority of God. You're going to begin to see glimpses in your life of of that. You're going to see glimpses of the glory of God more and more in your life. And yet, there is this sense in which just as the kingdom is now, it is also not yet. That while now we see glimpses of it, and, and, and we see Jesus in these moments, showing his power and authority over all these things that are bigger than us. He's saying, so trust me, there's a day coming when, when it won't just be glimpses, it will be pervasive. When every situation, when every circumstance, when, when, every, when every sin, when, when death itself, when, when the whole of the universe is all gathered up under the rule and the power and the authority of God, then the kingdom will be pervasive. And so as Jesus followers, we live within this tension. We've glimpsed it. We've seen the kingdoms come in Jesus. And yet we're longing for this day when it will be fully manifest. 
And what it leads us to is this, is this conclusion that if we're going to live life with a proper indicator of success, if we're going to live life with proper priorities, then we have to live with eternity in mind. And we're going to have to come to terms with the fact that our lives right now might not look, in the eyes of, of, of this world, that our lives might not look very successful. But Jesus has promised yours is the kingdom. What you've glimpsed will one day be fully manifest. And so in light of that promise, it means we can live life differently now, knowing that one day, one day, you know, it's like the game's not done yet. But we know it's won. We know it's in the bag. And, and therefore it begins to help us understand when Jesus says, you will be satisfied, you will laugh. It's the divine passive, the, the word God is missing there in the way the Jews used to speak. But we can insert it. When, when the kingdom comes in full, when it is pervasive, when it is a living, breathing, pervasive reality, God is doing something that is going to wipe away every tear and make you laugh. God is doing something that is going to satisfy that hunger for God. And on that day, there's a great reward. I believe we as God's people, we as Jesus followers have to live not with the present in mind, but with eternity in mind. I think the way this is most accurately seen is in the life of Jesus. If you were going to define success, you, uh, you would, in, in sort of earthly terms, can I say, and some people might find this a little bit offensive, the life of Jesus was a catastrophic failure. Like in the measures that we use of success, Jesus' life was a failure. He was materially poor. And he, and he goes through life, son of God, and yet he goes through life desperate for God, in need of God, reliant on God. You know, he didn't go through life um, satisfied. He went through life hungry. He went, you know, you find him up early in the morning out on a mountainside praying because he knows that, that unless God steps in, unless God does something, you know, he, no change is going to be made. And so he's out praying and he's out saying, God, I need you. God, would you empower me? God, would you help me make a difference today? You know, think about friends. Jesus was rejected by his own people. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Didn't look a lot like he was laughing most of the time. Rejected by his own people, crucified with the Romans at the age of, we think, 33. And yet in those years, he accomplished more than anyone else ever had because he wasn't going after our measure of success. He was on a mission for something more with eternity in mind. You know, we as a church have this, this statement, helping people become total followers of Jesus Christ. Seeing people come under the rule and the power of God. It's not just about, you know, helping Christians become better Christians. It's about following Jesus wherever he would lead. It's about following Jesus, being grieved by the things that being, grieve him and being hungry for the things that he hungers for and and, and going through life desperate, saying, God, if you do not move, our society, our culture has no hope. God, we need you. Would you move? And if there's something that you would have me do, Lord God, lead me. 
So I want us in this moment just to pray and invite Isaac to, and the team to come up and lead us. And I'd love us to pray. And I'd love us to come honestly before God and say, if there are areas where you have been defining success in, in a way that Jesus criticizes here, that we'd repent. Come and say, Lord, forgive me for living with the wrong priorities. Forgive me for looking down on myself, maybe for not measuring up. And Lord, would you open my eyes to the world around me such that my life may be characterized more and more by a desperation for you and a hunger for you and a grieving over the way things are and a longing for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Can we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would rid the church of being satisfied with the status quo. I pray that you'd forgive us, Lord, for just going with the flow, just keeping time. Lord, if... if, if if we have been measuring success in a wrong way, I pray, Lord God, that you would forgive us today and you'd enable us to, enable us to turn around today and, and follow you. God, I pray like you say in Matthew 9 that you, know, you looked on the people and you had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Lord God, I pray that you would move our hearts with compassion today for the world around us and lead us not to be respectable Christians but to make a difference to partner with you to partner with you in seeing people come under the rule and the power of God and seeing the freedom in the life in the hope in the transformation that comes with that Lord God lead us Lord God, use us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you don't talk the talk, just talk the talk, you walk the walk. That you've shown us the very best way. Lord, we want to stand in awe of you right now. We want to worship you afresh, that you left glory and came to earth to die in our place so that we might know God, that we might know forgiveness, that we might know life, and that we might partner with you today. And so right now, God, we want to gather around Jesus and bring you praise and worship and adoration in Jesus' name. Amen.